Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. I missed everyone. I'm so happy to be back because I got a word of the day for you, and it's sellout. Now, you think that sellout is talking about something that's going on, maybe with Miles Garrett, maybe the Houston Astros. Now, we'll get to that. Sellout, as in 273 straight sellouts by the Notre Dame football team. That dates back to 1973. They've sold out their building since 1973, and it ends this weekend when Notre Dame plays Navy. Are they despondent about that? I don't think so. That's quite a sellout streak if you think about it. That is uh, approximately almost 45 years. So that means the ticket salespeople actually have work to do now in Notre Dame. So my word of the day is sellout, but what I'm waiting to see is whether or not there's anyone in Notre Dame who can actually sell tickets because they haven't had to make any outgoing calls. It's all been incoming. But after this game against Navy, I wonder if all the people at Notre Dame are going to say, oh, my God, we have to start hiring people to start a new sellout streak. Everybody's talking about Miles Garrett. I'm no exception. I've been bursting at the seams the last two days to talk about some of the things that have been going on. But I am starting, middling, and ending with Miles Garrett and what took place on the football field last night. I want to break down a couple of things, and I'm not going to rehash what we have done for breaking news, both on CBS Sports HQ. You've seen it everywhere. I want to look at a different angle here slightly. Why is it that in the Miles Garrett situation, we're not taking a look at the sport of football and some of the violent things that take place on the field, both during the play and after the play? So Miles Garrett did the inexcusable thing. We're not talking about it. He hit Mason Rudolph over the head. Yes, he did. With a helmet. With Rudolph's helmet. All of that we know. I want to show you the video one more time because I want to point out that Mason Rudolph is not totally innocent in this. What you're seeing now is they're on the floor. They're grappling. Rudolph is trying to get Garrett's helmet off. He can't do it because of the chin strap. But Rudolph's helmet comes off rather easily. Actually, not that easily, but it does come off. Then Garrett is being held back. He's got it, and then he swings. Thank God he hit Rudolph in the head with the foam part, but still it was enough to merit a indefinite suspension. Pouncey kicked him, got three games. I get that. The question is, should Rudolph have been more than just fined? Does any of this happen if Mason Rudolph does not try to get Garrett's helmet off? You may think that's an unpopular take, but here's how it works in sports. When I'm in the front office, I'm watching, or I'm in the league office. It's not like an elementary school playground where this first person never gets seen by the teacher and never gets punished, and it's the second person in. That's the playground. Here we have video. Here we can see exactly what happened from start to finish, frame by frame. The first thing we have is a quarterback, Mason Rudolph, and he is trying to get Garrett's helmet off. What's he doing? Why is he trying to get the helmet off? Is he trying to punch him? Is he trying to hit him without the helmet? Is he trying to get under and tickle his chin? Well, whatever it was, he was not able to do it. Then Garrett was able to get the helmet off, and then Garrett swung. But if Ruel hadn't started this, 
then I'm not sure that this fight happens at all. And furthermore, the fact that this is an indefinite suspension for this, what about all the other violent acts that happen on the field of play, including one that happened in the third quarter of that very game? Is anyone talking about the fact of the receiver who was bleeding out of his ear because he got a helmet-to-helmet hit, who could have died from that same helmet-to-helmet hit? It's all good. It's in the field of play, they say. It's part of the game. We'll throw a flag. We'll give him a misconduct. 15 yards, we'll kick him out of the game. We're not going to suspend him? Is that a crime? The reason it's not a crime is that it's a breaking of the rules of the game, but it's during the actual play? Is that the story that you're willing to stick to? I'm not willing to stick to that story. The NFL is a violent sport. We sign up to watch that violent sport. You and I are as guilty as anyone else out there because we want the violence. Anybody else but me cheer when there's a hockey fight? I do. Anyone else cheer when there's a benches clearing brawl? The NBA changed the rules, so now they can't leave the benches, so it's not really called a benches clearing brawl. But when Ben Simmons had the Timberwolves player in a headlock, were you cheering? Why weren't you cheering when Miles Garrett did what he did? Oh, because it crossed the line. Well, it crossed your imaginary line of what could have happened if he had connected in the head and Rudolph had actually gotten killed, knocked unconscious. Well, what about when Marty McSorley cross-checked Brashear, Donald Brashear, and knocked him out with a stick to the head? Were you cheering that? No, but you're certainly cheering in hockey when someone gets knocked to the boards. I've been there. I'm hitting the glass. I'm the guy in the front row hitting the glass. I'm so happy when players are getting their heads bashed into the glass. I'm the guy who's cheering at the boxing match when Mike Tyson is hitting a boxer as hard as he can in his head, and then I'm crying when a boxer gets unconscious and passes away. So let's just make sure we're equally consistent in our contempt and the disdain that we feel and hold towards certain plays. Let's make sure we're clear together. Are we going to say that anything within a sport that we watch before the whistle blows, it's all good? Helmet to helmet, no problem. Imagine if that had been Tom Brady instead of Mason Rudolph. I digress. We're going to get back to that. So the rule we're going to have is during the field of play, during the time of game, everything's fine. But that means Marty McSorley's fine. That was during a hockey game he did that. That wasn't a fight. That wasn't a brawl. That was during a breakaway. And he was charged criminally and found guilty and pled guilty to assault. There's much more than assault that goes on during our games. But now let's talk about what happens outside the game because we've already decided what's in the game we're good with. All right, outside the game. Anyone remember someone named Kermit Washington and Rudy Tomjanovich? Well, go Google it and YouTube it. Kermit Washington, there was a brawl going on in a game 30, 40 years ago. Kermit Washington ended Rudy Tomjanovich's career with one of the great close hooks of all time. All time, Rudy Tomjanovich was running to half court full speed. Kermit Washington punches him in the face. The next thing Tomjanovich knows is he can't recognize himself. He's been unconscious for three days. The outrage we felt. He could have been killed. He could have been charged. Maybe he should have been charged. But on a breakaway, when we take out someone's legs and they break their knee or hit their head on the floor on a breakaway in the NBA, good defense. Oh, that's part of the game. That just happened. And in this football game, it's the same. The receiver, the the defensive back hitting a receiver helmet to helmet or a defensive player to an offensive player helmet to helmet, and we just are okay penalizing it. 
Well, right now, the agent for Mason Rudolph is going off and he just made an announcement that he is gonna look into all possibilities under the law. Well, there's two things he can do. Mason Rudolph can file a complaint with the authorities and then the authorities will have to investigate and decide whether to criminally charge Miles Garrett. If there's no complaint filed by Rudolph, then there is no possibility of criminal charges. So I guess what the agent meant is maybe civil charges they're thinking about. Well, he could sue him, but then you have to prove a degree of negligence and a degree of lost wages to try to prove what the damages were. It's not like Rudolph lost any commercial endorsements. So the question is, the attention that this is all having on Rudolph, does it help him, does it hurt him? That is what a a jury and a judge would decide. But it would never go to trial, it would be a settlement. It's not gonna happen, they're not gonna file charges against Garrett. But why does the NFL come down the way they did? Well, I find it pretty reprehensible that a player named Kareem Hill can beat up a woman. Kareem Hunt, excuse me, thank you, Coca. Kareem Hunt, I'm so bad with names, I love you, Coca. Kareem Hunt beats up a woman, and he gets suspended for half a year, and then signs, gets let go by the Chiefs, and then plays again, including this weekend? Explain to me why we view that better than what Garrett did. It's 20 times worse. Yet for some reason, the NFL views what Garrett did as worse, because there's more attention on it, Well, what would the NFL have done to Garrett if he had punched Tom Brady in the head? Would he have been burned and hung in effigy? Would he be suspended for three lives, like when you get consecutive life sentences where it's not enough that you serve your life, you then get a second life sentence and a third life sentence? That's what Garrett probably would have gotten because it was Tom Brady. What about if that had not been Rudolph but Ben Roethlisberger? Same thing. They're trying to protect their quarterbacks. I get it. But to me, the NFL puts the eye in inconsistent and it's driving me crazy. I want it to stop. I want equal punishment for things that happen during the game as opposed to after the whistle has been blown. I want equal punishment for things that happen outside the stadium when it violates all of our moral ethical code. When there's any sort of beating that goes on, not just assault, I'm talking about domestic violence, assault, that should be 10 times worse in the eyes of every single person listening to this show or watching this show than what Miles Garrett did. Should Miles Garrett be suspended? Yes. Should he be the subject that this is the worst thing anyone's ever seen in the history of the NFL and oh my God, the sky is falling? Not even close. It's outrageous. The sky's falling somewhere else and I'm gonna, and I gotta talk about it. It happened while I was gone. Do you know that the Astros, I, I can't stand the Houston Astros front office. When I was in baseball for the 18 years I was there, the Astros just, they have a level, you know, under Jeff Lunau, a level of cockiness that is so shocking to me. Uh, we used to have nicknames for all sorts of GMs and all sorts of people, you know, in and around the baseball departments. And whether it was Neil Huntington, who we called pump fake because Neil Huntington was just fired by the Pirates. Uh, they now have a new GM, by the way. We'll talk about that later but he was pump fake because you'd think you're gonna make a trade with him, fake out, and then there's no trade. Uh, we had cold feet kind of GMs who wouldn't wanna make trades, they'd say they would, and then you tell them you want one more player or a different sort of outlook to the trade, and then they walk away. Well, what the Houston Astros are is they just think they operate on a different playing field than we do. They believe they're the smartest guy in the room. Anytime they walk into an owner's meeting or a GM's meeting, or anytime they walk into your ballpark, they just think they own the place, that they somehow figure out how to do things do things better than we all did. 
Now granted, they did do something better than we did. They were able to lose way better than I was ever able to lose. They were able to lose 100 games in a row, three seasons, 300 games a year, three seasons in a row. Their owner let them do it, Jim Crane, and then they built it back up. It's not like their first round picks were any better than my first round picks. It's not like their scouting and development is any better than my scouting and development. It's that they had the ability to raise payroll when they were ready to win, they got good players, and then they won games. So why is it that everyone is so up in arms about this cheating, about this sign stealing? We were trying to steal signs every single game. They used electronic equipment. Everybody uses electronic equipment. The question is, did the Astros put in cameras specially just for them to use? Well, here's a little hint. If Jeff Lunau and Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, are trying to get away in this investigation by saying they didn't know what was going on, Commissioner Manford, may I be the first to tell you on air, they're full of it. And here's why. I've run a team, you haven't, Commissioner, so please listen. You can't put a camera in center field that you control without it being approved, both by your stadium operations people, by your baseball department, and by your finance department. Those departments all report up to either the president or the president of baseball operations. In theory, the president reports to the owner or the president of baseball operations reports to the president, then the owner. The bottom line is a camera doesn't just appear. And then in the dugout, there's a screen where they're showing the actual signs coming in from center field. And it's not the TV link. Mike Francesa went on and on and on, on and on about how there's a five second delay. So how could they be stealing signs? He doesn't get it. It's not the satellite link. This would be a direct internal feed that can only be put on by the team. But the dugout has to have a screen, a TV screen, a big movie screen, something. These are all expenses that have to get approved. So who's approving that? It's not the clubby. It's not the clubhouse manager. This goes all the way to the top. So the question I have for MLB as you're doing your investigation, are you sure you want to fully investigate this? What happens when you find out that the new manager of the Mets was completely involved? Are you going to suspend him? Are you going to suspend him for lying, which he's already done by saying he had no idea and that he was just looking at people? I have news for you. It's not that Carlos Beltran was simply looking at, p- at pitchers, trying to see them tip their pitches or stand on second base and, and, and relaying the signs from second base. We're all looking for an edge because we're all trying to win a ring. MLB set a rule. There is no electronic use to steal signs or for any other unsavory activity you can think of. Then they find the Red Sox in 2017 when they discovered the Red Sox were using Apple Watches. They're not a sponsor, so I'm just going to say watches, like with an at piece of fruit with a bite out of it. So I'm just curious, you think that all of a sudden it stopped because you find the Red Sox? Do you think all teams said, we're not going to do anything with those iPads in the dugout? We're not going to do anything to try to gain an edge or an advantage? The Houston Astros did not win 60 games at home because they were stealing signs. They won 60 games at home this year because they were better than the other teams. That's the only reason. Don't listen to all the internet bumbo-lumbo-jumbo where they're playing video with bangs and whistles and say that's why they won. Take away their World Series. Bregman shouldn't be the MVP, which we're going to talk about later on Nothing Personal. He should have been the MVP. My message to the commissioner's office is investigate this only if you're prepared to suspend the owner and the president of baseball operations because they both knew. And if you're not willing to do it, then simply come out publicly and say, 
We don't know exactly what happened. We're not going to take this any further except starting next year, here's the changes we're going to make. You want to change something, baseball? Take control of every internal feed in the ballpark. We had internal feeds at Marlins Park, right, left, and center. Our control room, we could launch a spaceship from that control room. Cameras everywhere. Not in the bathrooms, but everywhere else. So if you really want to do something, MLB, stop going on a witch hunt looking for people to lie and maybe have to suspend new managers of the Mets. And instead, simply make sure you have a rule that you can control. It'll be interesting to see whether MLB does it. The MVPs were announced yesterday, and I was pissed. I don't really understand how it's possible that Alex Bregman did not win the MVP. I like Mike Trout. I really do. But when you look at Alex Bregman's season, uh, and remember, the postseason has nothing to do with MVP. So I've heard a lot of talk today. Hey, Bregman didn't really have a good postseason. That should impact it. Well, Mike Trout had a terrible October, way worse October than Bregman did. Trout went zero for zero in October. Alex Bregman played in 156 games. Mike Trout played in about 130 or 134. My view is that Bregman should have won but didn't because what MLB and what writers and players are hoping for is that Mike Trout, that we can make him Babe Ruth, we can make him become the face of the game, continue to say this is the greatest player of all time, continue to give him all the accolades, but what is that resulting in? It's not resulting in more eyeballs, more Twitter followers for MLB or for the Angels or for Trout. It's not resulting in ratings increases. And it's not resulting in the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim being in the postseason. So why not celebrate someone who actually gets marketing attention? The Astros have gotten all sorts of attention in the last month. Wouldn't it be good if they got positive attention now in the form of an MVP, which they should have? The National League MVP was no better. Bellinger over Yelich. All right, I can accept Bellinger. He played 156 games. I can accept he had over 300. Christian Yelich had 325 to 329, only played in 130 games, only had 97 RBI. Wait a minute, does that mean that's too few RBI to become the MVP? We don't even look at RBI as a stat. I don't know why you do. Do you know what an RBI means? It means someone above you in the batting order was good enough to get on base, and then I got a hit with that runner on base, or I hit a home run. What Yelich provided to his team and what he provides as a player, overall player, he's the MVP. And wouldn't it be a better narrative to have back-to-back MVPs? Let's get the word out that we've got a clean, underpaid player in a low, small market in the middle of our country where people go to the games, players love to play, they've been in the postseason two years in a row, They've got likable characters on their team. Why wouldn't we try to promote that as a sport? If you're a writer, if you're a player, if you're a voter, let's promote good stories instead of always looking for bad ones. But of course, you're going to tell me it's the bad stories that attract the attention. I get that, but it's the good stories that build your business. <clears throat> so when I am voting for MVP and looking, here's how I decide how, who my MVP is. I'm looking for all facets of the game on and off the field. I'm looking for the player that without whom our team is not as good. So the argument against Yelich is, hey, he didn't play and they almost beat the Nationals in the wild card game, but for the error made by the right fielder who was playing in place of Yelich. I get that. But now look at the other side. 
What Yelich does is he's the engine around which the entire team is built from the ground up by the general manager. It is the, He is the player who they build around, who the entire game revolves around. He's the player who you don't let beat you ever when you play that team. That, to me, is the most valuable player. Alex Bregman hitting cleanup in a lineup of cleanup hitters for Houston. Alex Bregman, the little engine that could, maybe even more so than Jose Altuve, but that's an argument that Altuve may be more valuable than Bregman overall. But this season, it was clearly, clearly going to be Alex Bregman. I'm disappointed with the whole process. Congratulations to Trout. Congratulations to Bellinger. But for my money, I've got Yelich and I've got Bregman. Well, we had a we had a wait to see that's coming true, and I want to talk about it because it's uh, it's about football, and it's interesting to me. There is conversation now that the NFL is going to go to a seventeen game schedule. Well, that's not a shock to any of us here. We've talked about that. Why would the NFL be looking for more games in the regular season? Why would the NFL be looking for more postseason games, which are part of this package? Why would the NFL be looking for more games in London? It's the same reason. They're trying to build their brand, build their business. If they've got a new package to sell to any TV partners, they have the ability to get more money from them. So that is why in baseball and in football and in basketball, we're always looking for the next dollar. And the way to do it is to provide more content. There's some great content that goes on outside the lines, but the best content is the live content and the live content is the game. So let's get more games. Not like baseball, we're good at 162, but we may extend the playoffs. Not like basketball, we're good at 82. Not like football, are we good at 16? Yes, but how about another bye week? No, we tried that, we need more games, more content. All right, let's get rid of the preseason games. Now we're talking. If I could get rid of 20 spring training games in baseball, blow it out and then play 20 more regular season games, that's money for me and money for the players. Why they can't do it in baseball is because there's public money that has been put into all of these spring training cities and spring training ballparks in order to attract spring training, and it's done for chambers of commerce because people from the north come to the south, go to Arizona or Florida every February and March for quote-unquote spring training. Does anyone travel anywhere to go to an NFL preseason game? Does anyone go to an NFL preseason game? What's the purpose of an NFL preseason game? Another opportunity for a player to get hurt? Are they figuring out who's going to be the 50th man on the roster? Are they getting reps because Tom Brady needs to throw a few more passes in regulation? Well, I, for one, don't agree because Tom Brady plays for a series and then he's out of the game and then maybe a quarter. Forget it. Do a simulated game and practice under the bubble. Get rid of preseason. Give me more regular season games. Give me more games that count. But the players say to that, you're asking for more games. I'm asking for more money. No problem. That's the collectively bargained deal. The more revenue that the NFL has, the more money the players get. Normal. Great. They say, I don't want to sacrifice my body for a 17th game. Really? Really? Let's put money in front of them and see if they change. I promise you we are going to a 17-game schedule, and I promise you there will be an agreement, and the agreement will, call, will, will be called for more money, percentage of revenue, going to the players. The London is a little more complicated because it's all part of a package deal. 
You're going to take away preseason games. Owners are going to be happy. They're going to get more regular season revenue. Players are going to be happy. More regular season games mean more money. But then you've got the London side of the equation. What's the trade-off to go to London? More postseason games. An extra round or an extra postseason team. Because players in the postseason earn extra money because that helps them when it's contract negotiation time. And the NFL would be happy to grant that to the players' union. That's one of the great misconceptions in this bargaining that the players don't want expanded playoffs. They didn't want another wild card team. They didn't want a play-in game in MLB. Not true. It's more money for everyone. Not a problem. They'd love to cut spring training, get more money during spring training, or just cancel the whole thing altogether. In the NFL, if you can go out and sell a new TV package that includes London and then a postseason game, get going, CBS. You're going to want that package. You're going to want the 9.30 a.m. package every Sunday, no problem. And an extra postseason game in January, make the postseason last another week, start the regular season before Labor Day, MLB won't be too happy because it'll cut into the MLB season. But you know what? October will still belong to baseball, but NFL can have the rest of the months. I think you're going to see London, you're going to see 17 games, and you're going to see another playoff team and expanded playoffs. Not really a wait to see. We haven't gotten there yet. Uh, big deal in NFL today with Colin Kaepernick. Um, what exactly is, uh, can we talk about Colin Kaepernick just between us? What's the big deal here? He's getting a workout and we're talking about it. Uh, why is that? Oh, I remember. Because Colin Kaepernick is the guy who kneeled in protest, not against the national anthem, but to show for equality and for proper treatment. I'm, I'm with him. I'm fine with it. Why hasn't he been signed? He thinks because there's been collusion and nobody wants to sign him. I think it's because he can't help anyone win games. Because I know that I'm not going to keep someone off my team who I think can help me win. Even if every owner is whispering to me that, hey, we're not going to have this player play in the NFL, I couldn't care less what I'm told by the league or by other teams. If I know there's a quarterback out there who's better than who I have, he's signing. But then the NFL had a problem. No one was signing him, and people thought it had nothing to do with ability. They thought it was some sort of, not just a slap on the wrist, but really a slap across the face. So now they, the NFL, in an unprecedented move, has announced and is organizing a workout that Kaepernick claimed he didn't know about that's being run by the old coach of the Cleveland Browns, yet there's rumors that Kaepernick can't even be ready for 2000 this season and won't be ready till 2020. Could someone explain to me why we're talking about this? Well, the reason I am is because you are, and I promise to talk about every trending story in sports. No matter when you subscribe or when you listen to this podcast, make sure you rate it, follow it, follow me on Twitter, David P. Sampson, because I'm going to talk about all the things you're talking about, but then I'm going to ask you why you're talking about him. I don't care that Colin Kaepernick is working out. I'm not signing him. There's Everyone's telling me how many players he's better than, how many team quarterbacks he's better than. He's better than nobody in the NFL right now, because if he were, he'd be playing. <laughs> My favorite TV show was on last uh, this week while I was on hiatus for two days, and I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about it because it happens to be a big deal. Uh, Survivor is a TV show that is, uh, if you haven't watched it, you should. It's on CBS. It's every Wednesday. 
Survivor is a TV show that uh, puts people on an island and there's cameras filming you and you're supposed to live together with a group of strangers and then you get voted out by those strangers who then have to vote at the end to give you a million dollars. So the people who you vote out, you actually have to have like you because you're trying to get a million dollars from them. It's been going on for 20 years. It's the 39th season. There's two seasons a calendar year. 39 seasons, Jeff Probst has been the host of Survivor. I was on Survivor 28. I can tell you it's no joke. There's no food. There's water, but not enough. You get sick of coconuts. There's no toilets. There's nothing. So that part is real. The hunger, the grumpiness, being with strangers who you wouldn't possibly want to deal with if you were home. You can't possibly understand how badly everyone smells. You can't believe the reality of it. So this season has been an interesting season. The way Survivor has actually sort of evolved is that it really has taken an opportunity the producers have to take their popularity and flex it a little bit, see what they can accomplish as a show. And they've pushed the boundaries and they've done a tremendous job. Wednesday night, they went the furthest they've ever gone. They've dealt with homosexuality. They've dealt with LGBT. They've dealt with transgender. They've dealt with, with race relations. All of, all issues that happen because they claim the island is a microcosm of society. So in season 39, we have a player, a male player, who it appears to the viewer is inappropriately touching female players. And female players are telling the camera, hey, I don't like to be touched that way. And they're telling the player, hey, don't touch me that way. So there's specifically a player named Kelly who had a major problem with what another player, his name is Dan, what Dan was doing. So Kelly talks to the camera and says, I don't like feeling the way I feel. And for the first time in Survivor history, you hear a voice like God off camera. It's the producers, because there's producers who are doing the interviews. It's not like they're talking to themselves on Survivor. It's not like they're filming themselves. So yes, folks, there are camera people on the island. How else can we see what they're doing? The off-camera person says, hey, Kelly, if you have a problem, we're going to take care of it. We don't want you to feel that way. Kelly said, thank you. And then unprecedented survivor goes to a black screen and explains that they stopped the game. They stopped filming. And they met with everyone as a group and everyone individually to explain personal boundaries. Well, I'll just tell you, having slept on Survivor Island for three nights, personal boundaries? We're all huddled together, freezing our tuchuses off, trying to figure out how to survive because we're grumpy, hungry, and smelly. However, there's a line you don't cross. I get that. And I agree with that. So Survivor puts on a black screen that we met with the players, with all of them individually, and this player, Dan, has been warned. Then they keep going on the episode. Kelly gets voted off. The one who complained gets voted off. And all of a sudden, everyone is outraged that a woman who spoke up is getting voted off for speaking up. That's not why Kelly got voted off the island. Then we keep going. All of a sudden, the other young ladies on the island all say, hey, we don't like the way Dan touches us either. And they go to another player and say, hey, is he touching you wrong? Because that's not good. And the player says no. And then the player is told, her name is Elizabeth, just if you're asked, just say he touches you wrong. Because we're trying to get him voted off. Wouldn't you know it? Elizabeth said, yeah, I don't like the way he touches me. So we all think that Dan's going to be voted off. They go to tribal council, which is when you vote off a player, and Dan wasn't voted off. It was someone else. Why is everyone going crazy? Because it turns out 
that people don't want anyone to make up any sort of story that involves any kind of sexual harassment. But Survivor's a game of line. It's a game of deception. There's line every day, all day. That's all you're doing. There is no truth. There is no trust. Every time someone moves their lips, picture an island of all Scott Boris's, that's Survivor. When their mouth moves, that means they're lying and manipulating. And you're surprised that people lied about being touched because you thought that was crossing the line? There is no line. Is that any different than what goes on in the sports world? What's the line that you'll accept for your team to win a game, to win a World Series, to win a championship? Are you not a fan of the New England Patriots because of Deflategate? Do you not like the New Orleans Saints because of Bountygate? Are you now going to stop rooting for the Astros because they steal signs? Are you rooting for Kareem? Tell me again, Coca. Are you rooting for Kareem Hunt? Or are you purposely never rooting for Kareem Hunt? What if he's on your fantasy team? Do you forgive what he did to that woman? I'm just curious what your line is when you decide that you've had enough or you say, you know what? I don't agree, but I do the same or I don't agree because I don't want it to impact me. Well, that's a lot of what goes on in Survivor. Everyone is doing what they want for themselves because it's for a million dollars. You need me to lie about something to get a million dollars? You're damn right I'm gonna lie about it. Would I do that in the real world? No. Then why is everyone in the real world complaining, this is why no one can speak up in the office? This is why we have such a major problem with inter-office politics and sexual harassment and the Me Too movement. No, we have a problem because men are inappropriate and we don't put a proper arena for women and make it comfortable for them to speak up because they're so worried that there are ramifications against it. We should eliminate all of that because in the real world, there shouldn't be ever ramifications against speaking up against inappropriate behavior. Survivor's not the real world. It's a microcosm of society within the confines of a million-dollar game. Everybody breathe. The movement was not set back by a day by the Survivor episode. As a matter of fact, it caused conversation, and I'm all in favor of it. And I'm still going to root for the Houston Astros, regardless of what they do. And I still love Drew Brees, and I still want Tom Brady, who is the best player, to win another ring. It's all fine. My God, I'm so tired of owners covering up their mistakes. Do you know when we, um, when Derek Jeter took over uh, the Marlins, one of the first things he did was fire uh, Jack McKee and Jeff Conine, Andre Dawson, and Tony Perez. Those were guys who worked with me, and they couldn't get rid of them fast enough. But there was public outcry here in Florida, terrible articles around the country, and Derek Jeter had never had one bad word written about him in his life. <laughs> wait till you run a team, Derek. Oh, I guess he figured it out already. Everyone forgot about the fact that he was a shortstop. He's so happy to go into the Hall of Fame next year so he can bring the attention back onto him as a player because being an owner and being an operator team president, not so easy, is it, Deej? So Deej fired all these guys, and then there was a public outcry. So then he decided to try to rehire them for about a fourth of their salary. It was a token offer that he didn't mean, and not one of the four fired individuals, Jeff Conine, Andre Dawson, Tony Perez, or Jack McKeon, accepted that offer and said goodbye to the Marlins, the team that really they were associated with. Well, Pittsburgh went a different direction, and it was shocking the amount of mistruths that were spoken. So let's decode it, and let's tell you the story. There's an old-time Pittsburgh Pirate player named Omar Moreno 
who worked in player development for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It doesn't matter what he did. It doesn't matter what he got paid. He's a famous pirate who people loved having around in the organization. Well, as you know, we've spoken about here, the Pirates fired their team president, they fired their general manager, they fired their manager. They just hired a GM today named Ben Sherrington. You'll remember him because he's the one who took over for Theo when Theo left the Red Sox for the Cubs. Ben Sherrington won a ring with the Red Sox, but then finished in last place and got fired and went to the Blue Jays as an executive. Well, now he's back in charge for an organization that looks nothing like the Red Sox, does not have the resources of the Blue Jays. Good luck, Ben. And here's how dysfunctional things are in Pittsburgh. When there's no GM in place, there's an assistant GM who just got back from the GM meetings. He's in charge. There's a new team president. He's a hockey guy. It's fine. He's team president. So Omar Moreno gets fired. Do you know how to fire someone? I do. It's I've fired a lot of people. I've been fired. It's fine. We're moving in a different direction. We no longer need your services. Thank you so much for everything you've done. Please give me your ID card. Well, Moreno gets fired. All of a sudden, the press in Pittsburgh goes ballistic, as in crazy, as in how could you fire Omar? Bring him back, please. So what is Bob Nutting, the owner, and the president, Williams, I think his first name is Trevor Williams, but that's the pitcher, so his name escapes me. I'm so bad with names. Coca, help me, the president. He's right now Googling president of Pittsburgh Pirates, and he'll come, he was the COO of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Travis Williams may be the name. Is it Williams? Travis Williams is the name. Thank you, Matthew. Travis Williams from the Penguins is now the president of the Pirates. There's a front page article all over Pittsburgh. How could the Pirates do this? Another example of how bad the Pirates are as an organization. So what do the Pirates do? They hire him back and pretend they didn't know he got fired. They are so full of it that I can't even tell you. From a practical standpoint, there is zero chance that the AGM, who was the acting general manager, was not aware that someone in player development got fired. And there's no way that this AGM, his last name is Graves, didn't go to the team president, however knew he was, to say, listen, we're sort of thinking of firing someone, but he's a name. What do you think? Williams would have had to say yes or no. Williams was probably not there long enough. He would go to Nutting, his owner, and say, hey, who's this Omar Moreno guy? Should we keep him? Should we not keep him? That would go up the chain. It would be like right now, Juan Pierre, very famous Marlin, won a ring with us in 03. He still works with the team. If Juan Pierre were gonna be fired by an underling, that underling would not fire Juan Pierre. Don't worry, JP, you're not getting fired. That underling would not fire him without going first to Mike Hill, the president of baseball ops, who would then go to Derek Jeter, the uh, part owner and, and whatever else he's called. It would go all the way up the chain. But the Pirates are so busy trying to do anything positive from a PR standpoint, anything they can think of that's positive, that they reversed the firing and then doubled down on their idiocy by claiming they had no idea, which just shows that they actually don't know how to run an organization. Not good. Uh, Mike Trout won the MVP, and it's not that I was hateful on Trout. I like Mike Trout, you know that. But it reminded me, do you know that Mike Trout debuted, do you know his debut date in Major League Baseball? It was July 8th, 2011. Well, July 8th is a day that I know about because it happens to be Kevin Bacon's birthday. Why would I know Kevin Bacon's birthday when I have no temporary restraining order against with against me with him? I just happen to know his birthday because I love his movies. He's the guy six degrees of separation 
Kevin Bacon. If you can't name a movie that has Kevin Bacon and then like one degree to another actor, then you don't really know movies. So today I want to give you my all-time and the all-time top five Kevin Bacon movies in honor of Mike Trout, his debut in Major League Baseball. Number five, not the remake, the original Footloose. Kevin Bacon is the one who brought dancing and made it cool. I even thought it was cool. It's sort of like going to a small town that's really boring and making it exciting. If you're not in love with Laurie Singer, then you were not paying attention back then. If you haven't gone back and watched the original Footloose, then you've made a mistake. And Kevin Bacon's so good, it's only number five. The fourth is a movie that not enough people have seen. It's called She's Having a Baby. For anybody out there thinking of having a child, watch this movie first. If you just had a child, watch it, but try to watch it maybe during a nap of the baby. But really, it's to be watched before you're having a baby. It's an incredible movie, incredibly perfectly written, a John Hughes movie. Kevin Bacon is perfect as a young man, and Alec Baldwin is in this movie. You won't recognize him because the current Alec Baldwin ate the Alec Baldwin that's in She's Having a Baby. But you should definitely check it out. Number three. How come more people haven't seen Murder in the First with Christian Slater and Kevin Bacon? Kevin Bacon plays a prisoner in Alcatraz, and it's about what happens and how they treat prisoners, and it's a true story, and it fascinated me. Kevin Bacon, it's his best performance. It is not like any performance you've ever seen. The movie was was not properly received because it's not a popcorn movie. You don't sit and order Good and Plenty and Red Vines and popcorn and drink your big gulp and watch this movie. You focus on this movie and you think to yourself, there's a lot of bad things that go on and I ought to pay attention and try to make a difference. That's Murder in the First with Kevin Bacon, number three. The number two Kevin Bacon movie, <laughs> I mean, of course it is, Apollo 13. That's a real movie. So this is back when being an astronaut wasn't as cool when Apollo 13 went up. No one remembers it really. There was a major tragedy that happened. If you haven't heard of Apollo 13, watch the movie. If you have heard of Apollo 13, watch the movie. Kevin Bacon plays the pilot of the Lem, and of it's not a space shuttle, it's before that, of the rocket, the Apollo 13, except he wasn't supposed to be. He was only there, and you'll recognize this, because Gary Sinise, who you may know from Forrest Gump, and he's the guy on the ride in Disney World who is introducing you to the space ride, well, that's all because of back in Apollo 13. Perfect movie, watch it immediately. And here it is, the number one Kevin Bacon movie. Anyone of any age, you can't handle this movie. A Few Good Men. Kevin Bacon plays the prosecutor, and Tom Cruise plays the defense attorney. You've heard of it, Jack Nicholson. He's the Colonel Jessup. Stop what you're doing now, and tonight, do, please. I love Kevin Pollock, he's in the movie. What I want you to focus on is when they're all at trial and you've got Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, and Kevin Pollock standing in a line from tallest to shortest. When you think about the ages and the heights of stars, you may not think of this. Tom Cruise is barely taller than I am, so take a look at how short Kevin Pollock and Demi Moore are, except they look so tall on the big screen and they're so good in their performances. You will be remembering lines from this movie for as long as you can remember. Kevin Bacon, keep going and... uh that's my top five. Thank you. Well, I give you guys picks every day, and uh, I got a good pick today, and I can't imagine how this can be. I assume the lines moved, but I'm not hearing it exactly in my ear. 
I've got the Celtics eight over the Golden State Warriors. There's no way the Celtics are only eight-point favorites on the road in Golden State. Golden State stinks. They're a lottery team. They're the worst team in the National Basketball Association. They they literally will have the most ping-pong balls of any team. And it's fine. They had a great run, but it's over. Why is there a odds maker who is pretending that they can be on the same court as the Boston Celtics? It's not like this game is in Miami where the South Beach flu is. It's not like the game is in Vegas where they could be out all night. They're in Oakland, San Francisco in the new ballpark stadium. What, did they take a walk on the wharf? Eight. It's way, way too many. Take Boston. Give the points. You won't be sorry. We've had some problems on the way to see. I got one wrong. We talked about the qualifying offers. The qualifying offer are the one-year deals that Major League Baseball teams give free agent players who then can reject them and become free agents. Well, 10 players got qualifying offers, and I told you that three would accept them. Only two did. Jake Odorizzi accepted from the Minnesota Twins and Jose Abreu from the Chicago White Sox. I took the over two and a half, a market I set for myself, and that over did not hit because Will Smith signed a three-year contract with the Atlanta Braves, a three-year, $39 million deal for Will Smith, and he turned down a $17.8 million deal to do it. I should have won that way to see, and I'm livid about it. The way to see that I have now has to do with Scott Boris's clients, Anthony Rendon, Steven Strasburg, and Garrett Cole. He's claiming that he will get his players signed before January. He will not. Two out of those three players at least will sign when the calendar turns to 2020. Don't believe a word Scott Boris has said. We've talked about it. Because remember, this is just business. It's nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.